Welcome to the 34, Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure, Take with, the adventure us. with 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 us. Welcome, everyone, back to the 34 Circe Salon. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb, and I'm here again with the real-life Indiana Jones, Dr. Gary Stickle. Hi, Gary. Hi. Good to be with you again. This is part two of our discussion on the sacred symbolic number system used in the Odyssey. And when last we left off on our last episode, we were talking about the number 12 and its importance in the Odyssey. I think to start off this time, let's reacquaint our listeners, Gary, with what this sacred symbolic number system is, and then we can pick it up from 12 on. Okay. Uh, actually, it applies to both the Iliad and the Odyssey. Okay. And so what I'm proposing in my thesis is that Homer intentionally embedded this sacred symbolic number system. Um and perhaps to uh, show reverence to the Greek uh, religion uh, with 12 representing the 12 Olympian gods and the other numbers that I'll talk about, uh, you know, correspondingly. Um, but uh, the, the numeric system applies to both the Iliad and the Odyssey. And I think it makes sense because uh, many, if not most cultures around the world have sacred numbers. And uh, so I don't think it's uh, too far of a stretch to think that uh, the ancient Greeks developed this system and Homer embedded it uh, to uh, add, add a special dimension to his great epics. So Gary, what, what's the big idea? What's the big takeaway people should get uh, from this? notion of the sacred symbolic number. That was our choir of angels telling you it's okay. an important moment. Well, great. Well, I, uh, I think it's 12 of them, right? Um, yeah, exactly. They're divine. Divine. Um, well, the, the, the big takeaway is that uh, apparently no one else has discovered this. Uh, I'm kind of uh, shocked, really, that I discovered it. Uh, and in fact, uh, as we discussed in a previous session, uh, the numbers were even, uh, you know, dismissed uh, as not being significant. I think they're very significant. And uh, it's most amazing. It sounds, it sounds as, like it. Yeah, I think most people who have read my thesis, and I'll get to uh, Greece's current ambassador uh, to England who read it, and he, endorse, he endorses it. Uh, I'll get to that. Well, why don't we start right in with the numbers? We, we left off at 12. What are the other sacred numbers that appear in the Odyssey, and what do they mean? Okay, the next one is uh, number 10. And I always thought, even as a kid, I was wondering why 10 years for uh, the Trojan War, the War of Troy, and why the same number of years for uh, King Odysseus's voyage back home to his home island and uh, palace. And... Uh, and uh, I think the reason is that uh, Hesiod, in his uh, 
in 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 his book or you know poetic book called the theogony which means of the gods uh, has a war between uh, Kronos and the Titans, you know, like Atlas that supposedly holds up the world or the universe is, uh, is a Titan, you know, a gigantic right. godlike being. Uh, right. So uh, Hesiod says the war between Kronos and the Titans and Kronos' son, Zeus, and the gods lasted 10 years. So I think that uh, that sort of makes the number 10 like a holy war. Ah, oh, okay. That that's my supposition here. So, ten. So divine, years. but in a different way. Not, not yes. specifically divine in a military, you know, bellicose warlike way. Yes. Okay. Because uh, according to Homer, the gods, uh, you know, divided up on whose side they're supporting. Some supported, like Athena, supported the Greeks, and some, like Ares, supported the Trojans. Uh, so in that sense, it was a holy war with the gods participating. Mm-hmm. So, um, so where else does ten apply? So ten applies for the number of years in the well, story well, of each they, book. It's referenced in uh, and in, in throughout the uh, Iliad. I'll just give you a quote here. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And the Iliad, Agamemnon emphasizes the number. Agamemnon being the high king that led the uh, all the Greek kings. Uh, you know, to the war of Troy. And, and uh, just for the listener, why did Agamemnon lead uh, the the Greeks into battle? His brother Menelaus uh, was married to the beautiful Helen, which uh, supposedly is the most, she was supposedly the most beautiful woman in the world. And uh, when Prince Paris came uh, and uh, to Sparta, into the palace of Menelaus, and he saw Helen of Troy, he instantly fell in love with her. Then he, uh, what they say, abducted her, but uh, whether she went of her own free will or she was forcibly uh, taken, you know, uh, there's different sides to that. few different uh, traditions on that story, yes. right? His family had been insulted. Not just the family, but the, the, the house, you know, of, uh, uh, of Sparta. So, right. so in other words, it's not just a personal insult. It's it's a it's an insult, you know, to to the, uh, you know, their their very, very culture, their their very kingdom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, Menelaus, knowing that he didn't have sufficient uh, military might to take on the mighty Troy, went to his brother, who was the high king of Greece. You know, like just like. King Arthur was a high king of, you know, in legend of England, and the other kings were subordinate to him. Same thing with Agamemnon. So Agamemnon got all these other kings of Greece to come join his army, and ostensibly he led the expedition against Troy in order to return Helen, you know, to Sparta, but it's been speculated long that the reason, real reason he did it is to take out Troy because Troy was an economic adversary to uh, Agamemnon and, and uh, the Mycenaeans' agenda. Uh, <clears throat> so Troy controlled all the trade that went through the 
uh, seaway uh, between the Aegean Sea and the Black Sea, uh, which the ancient Greeks called the Hellespont. Well, and, uh, cost, it was a costly gambit, right, on, on a lot of fronts yeah. because the uh, the effect it had on the Greeks and also what Agamemnon ended up in the end. Um, yes. I what mean, about so where else? Where else does ten fit with this? Well, anyhow, just uh, I'll give you the quote here. Agamemnon says, "But count our Achaeans, which is another term Homer uses for the Greeks. Count our Achaeans out in ten man squads." And each squad pick a Trojan to pour its wine. Many a kin tens would lack their steward then. Okay, um, and then uh, the uh, the priest, the high priest of the Greeks, his name was Calchas, and he prophesies that quote in the tenth year we shall take the city of Troy of the wide ways. Wow! So wherever you hear a military often where you hear a military reference, 10 occurs. In this yeah, it keeps, it keeps uh, occurring. Wow. Okay. And that's in, that's in the Iliad now. Now, in the Odyssey, mm -hmm. the number 10 uh, keeps occurring as well. Here's a, here's a quote. On the 10th day, our own land, Ithaca, hove into sight at last. This is uh, this is talking about uh, seeing Ithaca. Um <clears throat> And then uh, another quote, on the 10th uh, night, the gods cast me up on Ogygia, Calypso's island. That's again, Odysseus talking. Uh, so uh, right. number, 10, number 10 is present in both epics. It's not present as much as number 12, but it's, but, uh, it's still present. Okay. And then going on to the next number, it's number nine. And uh, again, it's not used as often as even 10, but uh, in the Iliad, there's a sequence um, where um, uh, in the dramatic beginning of the Iliad, Homer has a sequence where Apollo, the god of the silver bow, he calls it, is appealed to by Chryses. Now, Chryses is a priest of a city that the Greeks conquer on the way to Troy. <clears throat> and Chryses wants Apollo to punish the Greeks because Agamemnon uh, abducted the priest's daughter to turn her into a love slave. Good heavens. And so, and so Chryses appeals to Apollo, uh, the god of uh, music and poetry and so on, but he's also the god of, of the plague, interestingly. Mm -hmm. and, and Apollo uh, agrees, and, and then it says in the uh, Iliad, Quote, nine days the arrows of the gods swept through the army, wreaking deadly disaster on the Greeks. So we have Apollo to thank for COVID. <laughs> yes, I would say so. We need we need to, uh, you know, make offerings to him and tell him to lighten up, you know. And, and interesting, isn't it, that in a war brought about by an abduction, the Greek general engages in an, abduc in an abduction himself so it's just a very well this is standard, this is standard fare uh which uh women friends of mine have a problem with you know because um <clears throat> you know um achilles the the great hero supposedly the greatest warrior of the day um he 
he takes a love slave as well, Briseis. Um, and so uh, that, that's what they did. When they conquered people, they took love slaves, you know. It's, it's interesting. That pattern, we just discussed that in the episode that I'm going to be uploading shortly on the uh, Matriarchy podcast. We talked about the Amnaya, the Indo-European warriors and conquerors who specifically engaged in a very, this type of warfare where they would abduct the women. They would yeah. take the women. So it seems to be a pattern that was passed along to all the cultures and civilizations that flowed from that. So nine is a number then of divine retribution. What is, how does nine play out? Well, and uh, there's one sequence in book nine of the Iliad, you know, chapter nine, like, and Homer presents the story of the uh, mythic hero Bellerophon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how he killed a, a monster called the uh, uh, Chimera. Is that how you pronounce mm-hmm. it? Uh, I've said Chimera, but I mean, I'm sure. Chimera. I think, some, I, no, yeah. I think you're right. I think it's Chimera. Um, and it's a strange monster. You know, it, it, uh, it's composed of three different animals. You know, if you remember. Um, this is a quote. Um, the king of Lycia gave Bellerophon a royal welcome. Nine days he feasted them. Nine oxen were slaughtered for the feasting. And in the last book of the Iliad, there's a sequence where the slaughter of the children of the Phrygian women, woman, excuse me, Phrygian woman, Niobe, uh, by Apollo and Artemis, it mentions, quote, nine days they lay in their blood, no one to bury them until the gods finally interred them. So that's really interesting, Gary. So, so is nine a, a number of this kind of divine retribution? Because I know the story with Artemis and Apollo is Niobe was um, prideful and boastful about saying that her children were more beautiful than Artemis and Apollo, well, if I'm not mistaken. It's, it certainly seems to be associated with uh, tragedy, you know, one way or the other. Wow. Because, okay. Because yeah, in, in the Odyssey, in book three, King Nestor... Uh, remembers the Trojan War and relates it to Odysseus, his son Telemachus, that was visiting him in that sequence in the Odyssey. Uh, and and uh, Telemachus uh, visits the old king in his palace at Pylos, and the king says, quote, nine years we wove a web of disaster for those Trojans, unquote. Wow. So it very, seems to be interesting. Yeah. And then get this, um, Homer has Odysseus sailing on to the sun god uh, Helios. Some people say that, I've seen in books even, that Apollo was a sun god. He wasn't a sun god. He was a god of light. But Mm. the true sun god in Greek mythology was Helios, Helios. uh, who had a chariot, you know, that would go across the, you know, the sun was the chariot and he he would ride across the sky and uh, bring the sun all day long. Um, and I believe he is the father of our matron, Circe, right? Yes. And so Odysseus sailed. Okay. Uh, so Odysseus sails on from the sun god's uh, island for nine days on his way to Calypso's island. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, and then Homer mentions that, uh, uh, talking about the muses, the goddesses of creative inspiration, Mm-hmm. People have probably heard of 
uh, Terpsichore, the muse of dance, and Cleo, the muse of history, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> and um, and so Homer says, quote, the muses, nine in all, unquote. Why do you think there are nine muses? I mean, I know it's just speculation on your part, but with the number system, why nine for muses? I, I frankly don't know. It's interesting. It's an interesting thing to maybe for both of us to consider, specifically how that number is used, as you're pointing out, by Homer in this sort of divine retribution sort of way. I wonder where the nine would tie in with them. It's a discussion for another time. Yes. Uh, what's, what are the other numbers? What other numbers are there? Okay, the next number is number seven. Uh, and again, it's not uh, so frequently incorporated into the text, uh, but uh, it is repeated. Um, and I think it may have been Symbolicus Hill uh, as, as well. Excuse me. Uh, Homer relates, quote, seven years, he, Aegis, referring to a person named Aegisthus, lorded over Mycenae, rich in gold, once he killed Agamemnon. Now, Agassiz, if you remember, was the lover of uh, Clytemestra, the you know the mm -hmm. uh, wife and queen of Agamemnon, and uh, and they murder Agamemnon, taking a bath in a bathtub, you know, when he returns home from Troy, you know. It's a great tragic play. Yes, and uh, by Aeschylus, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so, anyhow, number seven there, and then. It's also associated with one of the great scenes of the Odyssey, as Odysseus says, quote, seven endless years, I, I remained there on the goddess Calypso's island. So he, what's, what does and, seven represent? And he, he served her as a love slave, by the way. Oh, yeah, that was the reverse of some of the things that yeah. we just talked about. But what, what does seven represent? What does it mean? Well, I, again, I don't know. It's just uh, these numbers are utilized, you know. Uh, and then it's it's also mentioned, uh, well, another Greek uh, author was Apollo Doris, and he wrote a book called The Library of Greek Mythology. And he has a section on the Pleiades, which are mentioned in the Odyssey. Because uh, uh, Calypso, when she's telling Odysseus how to sail home, uh, you know, she, re she tells him to sail by the Pleiades. And uh, I, I wrote a little uh, rhyming couplets on this for my mm -hmm. children's play on the Odyssey, and, and this is this is the way that goes. Carrying Calypso taught Odysseus how to navigate at night, to sail by the stars, Pleiades, Boötes, bear, sail by Orion's light. Mm. Very nice. Thank you. And so the Pleiades were considered sacred to uh, many ancient cultures around the world. Uh, as Dr. I, I cite in my paper, Dr. Edwin Krupp, who's the curator of the Griffith Observatory. He wrote a book called Ancient Astronomies, and uh, he cites that in there. Um, and then Hesiod, in his book, uh, also mentions the number seven is sacred. He says, quote, foremost, the first and fourth and the seventh are days that are holy. For on the seventh, Latona, or Leto, gave birth to Apollo, the god Apollo. And that's mm -hmm. that's in his book, uh, not the Theogony, but uh, Works and Days. Okay. And then, interestingly, Apollo had seven strings on his lyre. He was the god of music, and on his lyre, he has seven strings. 
Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if we could drill down again another for another time to see what seven could possibly mean or represent in this context. So we've got 12, 10, 9, 7. Are there any other numbers? Yeah, one more. And that's okay. the nu number three. And um, and Homer extensively used number three in the Iliad. The number is used prominently. And mm -hmm. I'll just give you an example here because it's used several times in this uh, passage. He spoke and the son of Tydeus, Diomedes, pondered doubtfully whether to turn his horses about and match his strength against Hector, Hector being the son of King Priam and the chief defender of Troy. Three times in his heart and spirit he pondered turning, and three times from the hills of Ida, Zeus thundered. And then he has actually a god talking about it. The god is Poseidon. Again, this is in the uh, Iliad. And Poseidon says, no, no, Great though Zeus is, this that he has said is too much. Me, who am his equal in rank, since we are three brothers born by Rhea to Kronos, Zeus and I, and the third is Hades, lord of the dead men. All right. were divided among us three ways, each given his domain. I drew the gray sea, Hades the kingdom of the dead, and Zeus was allotted the wide sky, but earth and high Olympus are common to all three of us. So three being a number that appears often with deities. I know that for the matriarchal world, the goddesses, the triple goddess is a very, very big motif. Maiden, oh, mother, and crone. So now you have this patriarchal version of it. So, so what's three represent in terms of how you look at it? What do you think it represents? Well, I just want to mention uh, one more thing. There's sure. a famous sequence in the Iliad, and it's called the Judgment of Paris. And this oh, is yes. where, get this, three goddesses force Prince Paris of Troy to judge which one of them is the most beautiful. Mm -hmm. So you have Hera, queen of the gods, Athena, and, and uh, Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And... Uh, yeah. How did he decide and what incentive did he get? There's some fun stuff in that story, correct? Yeah. Um, uh, well, I'll, again, I'll cite my, my poem for children, you know, because oh, I mentioned sure. it. And it just says, uh, it all started when heavenly Hermes on golden winged sandals escorted three goddesses to Mount Ida, won the cause of scandal. On holy Ida's wooded slope, those divine ones uh, forced the lad to judge uh, which was the fairest. Athena, uh, excuse me, Hera, queen of the gods, offered, you know, a bribe here, uh, offered uh, Paris, Asia to rule great riches and more. Athena offered her gifts to be the wisest man and ever victorious in war. But the goddess of love, laughter-loving Aphrodite, offered him the world's one woman of the greatest beauty. So she offers Paris the most beautiful woman in the world. And being a young, you know, lustful lad, he goes for it. Mm. And, and so from he, there ensues a lot of misery. Yes. He, he finds out that he's the, the son of the king and queen of Troy. And then um, he's, uh, he, he's got to find his most beautiful woman. And uh, so I'll go on my little poem here and just say, King Priam sent Paris to sail with the Trojan fleet. 
to far-off Greeks' lands across the Aegean Sea. To find the most beautiful woman was his quest. To many a port he went, sailing always west. So finally in throne room, he meets, he meets Menelaus, the Spartan king, and once he spies Queen Helen's eyes so dark and sparkling. And so he abducts her that night and takes her to Troy, and that precipitates the most famous war of ancient times, the Trojan War. Three goddesses, three well, and, gods. And, and, and three, the three goddesses are just replete in Greek mythology. There's mm -hmm. many other threesomes in Greek mythology. The three fates, the three furies, the three graces, and even monsters, the three gorgons, which uh, has Steno, Urali, and the famous Medusa, you know, whose stare can turn you into stone, you know, and she has snakes for hair, if you remember. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, so number three is just replete throughout Greek mythology, even artifacts, because Poseidon, the god of sea, has a spear with three points on it, the trident. And how do you interpret what three means? I, again, I don't know. I mean, I'm. I have a lot to learn about Greek uh, mythology. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I know that there's three appears obviously in a lot of different cultures. It becomes this kind of this sort of completeness or this fullness or two people coming together making a third. Or, but it's good that at least we've had a chance to introduce your theories to people about this and where it shows. Yeah, and up I, that I'd like to add a little bit more. Um, sure. Sure, I think and, we need uh, to just close it a little bit, just so it's yeah, right just a little bit. Um, and uh, so I, I, I said in the previous uh, presentation that I thought number twelve might be significant. That maybe Odysseus went to twelve places on his uh, epic voyage home, and indeed there's twelve places. Mm -hmm. So then I wondered about the form of poetry that both the epics are written in, and it's written in a form of poetry called dactylic hexameter verse. Um, and uh, uh, there, there's a uh, Homeric scholar in University of Chicago that published a new translation a few years ago. And in his introduction, he says, I don't understand why Homer selected dactylic examiner verse. It doesn't lend itself to the Greek language and leads to many awkward constructions. I may have discovered why, because dactylic examiner verse um, Ostensibly, hexameter means six. It means there's six, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a foot of poetry, so six feet of poetry in every line. But get this, every foot is divided into two half feet. You count them up and there's 12. Oh. And of course, 12 is a multiple, you know, it's four times number three, mm -hmm. or apparently half, half the numbers are important. Like uh, when Odysseus goes, um, to the Sicones, uh, they kill six of Odysseus's men from each ship, half the number 12. And so you double, you know, you can divide it by six, you know, six times two equals 12 and so on. So apparently these mm -hmm. divisions are important. And it's interesting, Homer didn't do it, but the li ancient library of Alexander that studied the Iliad Odyssey, they divided up both books I mean, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey in the 24, what they call books or chapters. Uh, actually, they call them rhapsodes. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder why 24? Well, it's twice number 12. 
and wide 24 because the Iliad is 16,000 lines of poetry. Mm-hmm. But get this, the Odyssey is 4,000 lines fewer, less. Uh, it's 12,000 lines of poetry. Um, and yet it still has 24 books. So apparently double 12 is important. And I don't know exactly yeah. why, but it is. And and then uh, just to go on a little further, the Iliad became the national epic of ancient Greece. All Greeks had to read it and they could you know, memorize it and recite good parts of it and so on. It was a great inspiration to them. I, I And so get this, um, uh, the Emperor Augustus wanted to have a similar epic for ancient Rome. And uh, so he had Virgil, the greatest poet of his day, write an epic that he, he called the Aeneid. And it's based on the Trojan story. It's based on the Iliad because Prince Aeneas of Troy, which and he's mentioned by Homer in the Iliad, escapes from Troy as the city is falling. And he goes on his own epic voyage where he encounters the Cyclops and the Sirens and so on, just like Odysseus did. And then he gets to the mainland of Italy and has all these battles like the Iliad, culminating in uh, a, a great duel between Aeneas and Turnus, who's head of the, the great warrior of the Latins, just like the Iliad ends with the great duel between Hector and Achilles. Mm-hmm. So get this, uh, Virgil divided his epic, the Aeneid, into 12 books, 12 chapters. And of course, Aeneas is the founder of the Roman Empire. Yes. So, yes. And we love the Roman Empire here. So, uh, although I have my issues with it, especially when we talk about the Matriarchy podcast, but Rome is uh, dear to me in different and, ways. So it, it's amazing. The the Aeneid, I, I actually love. I no, no, I, I love it too. It's fantastic. Yeah. And it actually yeah. describes a Trojan horse, which really isn't described by Homer. I just want to mention one more thing here um, that, uh, you know, I sent, I sent my thesis out to prominent scholars and people to get their opinions. And uh, one of them was Professor Colin Renfrew. He's emeritus from Cambridge in England. He was one of my professors at UCLA way back in the day. Um, and he, he, he thought, uh, not, he didn't think much of my thesis. He just thought all the numbers were randomly used. There's no pattern or no meaning yeah, to them. It's, it's uh, Especially given the fact that the Pythagoreans made a big point of the meaning of numbers. Yes. So it had a it, that sort of thing, that pattern had great meaning for the ancient I, I think so, but, but uh, you know, uh, he didn't think so. But one of the persons I really respect, because he's been a, a great supporter of my Homeric project, is uh, uh, Demetrius Karamitsos uh, Siris, or Siras, and uh, when I first met him, he was uh, the Consul General of, of Greece for Los Angeles, and he became a great supporter of my uh, Odyssey play for children. Uh, it was my person of honor when I performed it at the Mark Taper at the Central Library that year and so on. Uh, then he went on to become Greece's ambassador to the United Nations. He went from there to being Greece's ambassador to the European Union, and most recently he became Greece's ambassador to England. So he wrote this letter to me after I sent him my research paper on the Homer's numbers. He says, Dear Gary, I was so pleased to read your letter and to learn that you continue to pursue successfully both the Odyssey play and the Homeric project. 
After all, this is a life's project and a huge undertaking on your part. Although not an expert in Homer, I find your thesis on the use of numbers plausible and very convincing. Thank you for sharing your paper with me. Mormons regards Demetrius Carmichael, Cirrus Ambassador in Greece to England. Well, that's a wonderful blessing. I think so. Yeah. I, I, well, that's, that's I greatly great. I greatly value that endorsement. Okay. So No, I think that's amazing. Well, I think we're gonna obviously come back and we'll pursue different aspects of this, but uh, you had one more thing, but let me ask you for one more, one more thing, which is, what would you like to leave the audience with? What's your one more thing that they should take away from this? The, the one more thing is uh, never assume that we know everything, if we found out everything. Uh, new discoveries constantly come up. And I think that's the exciting part about archaeology or scholarship is uh, new discoveries are always out there. Uh, waiting to be discovered, and uh, maybe some of the audience might uh, go out and discover some of them. I think it'd be fantastic. I think that's great. I really like that. I I agree, and I'll just say my one more thing would also be continue to look to both the future and the past for new things and new opportunities. Read the Aeneid, read the Odyssey, and also read the stars and see where we can go. Uh, it may seem like that's kind of a general proposition for this, but this show is about that. It's about being curious and about exploring all sorts of things. So I want to thank uh, our guest, Mr. Dr. Gary Stickle. Gary, thank you always for being here. We'll have plenty more things to discuss. And uh, I am Sean Marlon Newcomb, and this has been the 34 Circe Salon. Thank you very much.